Well, this morning, I'd like to ask you once again to take your Bible and turn back to Galatians, the fifth chapter, Galatians chapter five. Uh, we're going to be continuing in that list that the Apostle Paul gives by way of his description of the works of the flesh. And as you're doing that, I just want to uh, encourage you to think about that little hymn that we just, just sang, Oh, How I Love Jesus. I hope and I pray that that's the testimony of each and every one of us here today. I hope and I pray that you understand not only cognitively what it is to be loved by God and to love the Lord Jesus Christ. I hope and pray that you know what it is by way of experience that the Lord Jesus Christ is the great center of all of your affections uh, and that he is prioritized by way of your love for him above all things. Well, Galatians chapter 5, you remember we've uh, entered into, again, that passage of scripture where the Apostle Paul sets before us the works of the flesh. Uh, we're going to get into here shortly uh, the fruit of the Spirit. But first, we must work through these things that he describes to us as the works of the flesh. And you remember what we said about the works of the flesh. They are, the, they are those attitudes and actions, those beliefs and behaviors that spring from an unregenerate heart. They spring from our own sinful heart. You remember our Lord Jesus Christ makes this very point in Matthew chapter 15, verse 19. For out of the heart proceeds, again, he says, all kinds of iniquities and sins. And so what the Apostle Paul has been doing here in this passage of Scripture, in order that we as Christians may know what it is and understand what it is to live by the Spirit, to live in the power of the Spirit, and not to live according to the flesh, he gives this delineation of these, uh, of these works of the flesh. And these works of the flesh, again, we've seen that they are four basic categories. Some have as little as some have three categories, but I've been uh, holding to the idea of four categories. And those four categories you might remember are first sexual sins. Again, you saw there in verses 19 and following, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness. We took a look at all those sins in one day, one of the one sermon. One of the reasons why I did that is because. I, I think that we can say with some confidence that we've, we've, we've discussed these sins in the past. Uh, we would not really be breaking new ground. Not that these sins uh, uh, really should be passed over quickly. I don't want to make that mistake. I don't want you to think that way. But it has been um, uh, from my, my experience and my purpose uh, to whenever we come to these uh, particular sins, these sexual sins, we emphasize them. And the reason why is because they are so predominant in our culture. Uh, we can't escape uh, the reality of sexual temptation in almost every turn. Uh, our our quote-unquote entertainment is uh, sexualized. Our, 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 our news sources, if we go online, it's hard to even get news apart from seeing advertisements that in some way, shape, or form are enticing and, and would lead some into uh, that whole process of thinking that would be uh, antithetical to holiness and the things of God. So we've handled those things, and that's one of the reasons why uh, I treated those four sins in one sermon. Time uh, in the future will come when we'll be looking at these particular sins. I just I know that we will because uh, they're so pre uh, prevalent in our society and in Scripture. There are so many uh, exhortations to flee that type of sin. So that's why we handled it in one sermon. We came to that next category of sins: sexual sins, and then you remember religious sins, uh, idolatry, and what the King James refers to as witchcraft what some of your newer translations refer to probably more accurately as sorcery, 
We're going to take a look at that today. These are religious sins. Uh, last week, we took a look at idolatry in its two basic forms, overt idolatry, uh, and that might involve the actual worship of a God other than the true God. It may also involve, you remember we made tried to make a case for this last week, that it may involve an attempt to worship the true God under false forms. Uh, we see a number of examples of that in Scripture. We see this both in the Old and in the New Testament. And so we gave some emphasis to that. But the point that I really tried to emphasize last week was not so much overt idolatry, but the more subtle idolatry, uh, that idolatry where there is something that steals away our allegiance, but primarily our affection for God and for the Lord Jesus Christ and our allegiance to him. And those subtle idols are the things that we have to learn to identify, and then we have to learn to take active steps against them. And that's why last week in our, in our, um, in our outline, we, we took a look at defining idolatry. We wanted to kind of, if I can say it this way, bring it up to date. I think a lot of times with some of these sins, idolatry and witchcraft, a lot of times our minds go back in time, and we think that they don't have anything to do with here and now. We think of idolatry and we think of this old ancient, ancient sin and we say, well, who could have ever been that foolish to, to bow down before a piece of stone or a piece of wood? And again, we realize from the New Testament, idolatry is much, much more subtle than that, subtle than that much more tenacious, we might say. Uh, and also when it comes to this thing called witchcraft. Now, witchcraft, again, is one of these words that uh, when we think of it, I, I would almost uh, be uh, surprised if most of you uh, did not go back uh, intellectually in your mind to think of something that we associate with the, with the maybe the Middle Ages, the, the 15th to the 17th century. Of course, here in Massachusetts, having such uh, uh, prominence uh, as to what happened in, uh, in, in Salem there in, uh, in, in the 1690s. But this, uh, this, this, this work of the flesh, which is witchcraft, has to be explained in a, in a, in a little more detail. Uh, there are elements of that that I hope to bring to the surface here today. So there were the sexual sins, there were the religious sins, and witchcraft, again, and everything that is represented by witchcraft is a religious sin. There was witchcraft, I'm sorry, there was uh, sexual sins, there were the religious sins. And then next we have the social sins, and we'll see that in probably next week, and we'll probably pick up the pace a little bit. Hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, um, uh, envyings, murderers. We'll, we'll take a look at all those. And then and lastly, we had the, those personal sins, those sins that really uh, ruin the life, sins uh, of, uh, of excess, uh, 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 revelings and drunkenness. And each of, the, each of these things are, are works of the flesh. And I want to remind you that each of those in the King James, each of those 17 sins and that are listed there are something that is natural and inherent in every one of our in every one of our natures. Now we may not be prone, or maybe I'll say it this way: we may be prone to certain types of sins more than other types of sins. We may be prone to more sexual types of sins, and we may be prone to religious types of sins. We may be prone to more uh, social types of sins than we are to like personally destruct destructive types of sins. I would say here that probably none of you, I, I want to be careful with this, and, and I'm, trying, I'm certainly not trying to embarrass anybody, uh, but I would suggest that probably not many of you here, if any, are tempted to those sins of, of, of drunkenness and revelings. You may have come out of that type of a past. That may have been your background, but you've come out of that. But, but how many of us are, are tempted to those social sins 
those the the the, the, the that idea of, of hatred or or envy or or sedition and strife and, and wrath and all those things that go on at the at the level of just personal dynamics and personal interactions. Somebody may do something that uh, that uh, that offends us, and we say, you know, I, I hate when that person does that over and over again. That person is always doing this. That person is always doing that. You see, these are these are sins of the flesh. These are these are works of the flesh, and they are natural to each and every one of us. And what I hope to do by way of uh, working through these uh, uh, through this uh, vice list, you remember we referred to it as that. Working through this vice list is that we learn to to identify uh, those sins that we must deal with, and then deal with them through the cross of Jesus Christ. Bring them to the cross, as it were. Say before our loving Savior and our heavenly Father, Father, these are the sins that I'm struggling with. Give me grace. Give me grace to over. And there's grace given for every for every sin that you go to God to, and asking grace for. There is grace. There is grace not only for forgiveness, but there's grace to overcome those sins as well. And so when we come again to these things, we see again these works of the flesh in these four categories. Well, we come back now to Galatians chapter 5. We'll read verses 19 through, 19 through 20 just to get us back up to speed as to where we're at. Galatians chapter 5 verses 19 through 21. I'm sorry. The apostle writes the following. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in times past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God." Well, again, on every one of these works of the flesh, we have to come back to this last expression that Paul gives. They which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. This is how serious this list of sins are, that we understand them, that we do all that we can to live, to walk in the Spirit. And that's the great emphasis that Paul makes. The emphasis that Paul makes in this passage of Scripture is not that we, in the power of our own strength, avoid these things and overcome these things. Paul's point is, is that if we walk in the Spirit, we'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And we might say it this way, we might say it this way, the lust of the flesh are just those things that manifest themselves in the works of the flesh. And so what we are being called to in this passage of Scripture is a great dependence upon the Spirit of God to work holiness in our lives, to work sanctification in our lives, to work love for Jesus Christ within our hearts and our souls. And so again, we hope by the grace of God to, to come to all this here. And what I want to do then today is I want to focus on verse 20, where the Apostle Paul again lists those two religious categories of sins, idolatry and witchcraft. Well, we have a lot of work to do here today, and the reason for that is that this word witchcraft has connotations in our mind that might cause us to lose sight of what Paul is actually saying here. And the reason why I say that is because some of you may know that the word that Paul uses for witchcraft in some of your other translations, he says sorceries, that's a little closer, but even that has something of a mind picture to us that almost makes this sin seem like well who would be guilty of that you know who's in their you know who's in their basement you know uh, brewing up this uh, witch's brew uh to kind of you know uh give somebody to drink and we would think that it just doesn't seem to be fitting uh, our way of understanding things well so witchcraft and sorcery but many of you are probably aware of the fact that 
The words that are translated into English by those two words come from the Greek word for pharmakeia. And it's the word that we get for the word pharmacy. It's, uh, it's that idea of, of medicine. And this, this word kind of has a history to it. And in that history, what we'll see uh, here in a little bit is that the word begins in a very neutral sense. It's, it's medicine. There's nothing wrong with the use of medicine. The word begins, however, to, to kind of morph into the use of medicinal things, the use of medicine for evil purposes, so that it comes to be used for those who attempt to poison others by way of some illicit type drug. And then it gets connected with the, it gets connected with the uh, use within the occult, so that by way of what we would know in our minds as, as, you know, witches, and I have to define that, or sorcerers, those involved in the occult, they, they begin to use drugs to either influence or to control those that they are engaged with. And so this all sounds, I can tell by the looks on your face, this, some of this sounds very bizarre almost, but we have, to, we have to make sure that we work through this in order to understand it. You know, as I was thinking about uh, this particular work of the flesh, and I was thinking about our, our congregation here, uh, I, I realized that there were a number, there are a number of people uh, in our congregation that have been involved, and in, I shouldn't say it that way, involved, but have had some types of contact with the things that would be included in what Paul is saying here by way of this work of the flesh, pharmakia, uh, sorcery, witchcraft. I think of those uh, who may have, uh, by way of where they've grown up, uh, been in, in a culture that where you would have seen things like voodoo or, or religious practices that would have been, again, more associated with the occult than it would have been with formal or real Christianity. Some of you may have had uh, personal experiences where, where spiritual, uh, uh, spiritual realities or spiritual powers have been so real and so close to you that if you were to try to explain uh, some of those experiences to some of us, some of us would be scratching our heads and we would think, boy, I've never experienced anything at all like that. But some of you, again, have, have spoken to me about these things, so I know that's the reality of it. Some of you in your in your family history may have had loved ones who were involved in, in different types of, of religiously occult practices or, or religiously occult uh, movements. And so this, this idea of, of what Paul is saying here by way of this witchcraft, sorcery, pharmakeia being a work of the flesh is something, again, that is not just back in days gone by. It's something that takes place here and now. Some of you may know individuals who, 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 self, who identify themselves as, as Wiccan or who would not move away or be embarrassed by, by way of being identified as a witch. These are the, this is the day in which we live. In our day, we see a great uh, resurgence of, of much by way of uh, what's oftentimes called neo-pagan religion, which really, in a, in, in a very real way, is, is pre-Christian, has nothing to do with the truth of Christ and the gospel, and rather is seeking for either information on how to live or how life will end up by way of the occult, or seeking some, some ability to influence people, again, by way of the occult, or by way of the, 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 uh, the, the inclusion of the whole idea of pharmakeia as drugs, is a lot, making allowance for some type of indulgence and bodily pleasure. 
Do you understand why this is such a, a challenging uh, uh, theme to enter into, this work of the flesh? But I, suggest, I would suggest to you that none of the things that I have just mentioned are foreign to you by way of your knowledge, and to some of you it may have been part of your past. And so again, we, we need to enter into how we understand these things. Well, what I want to do is, again, I want to, I want to reemphasize that this uh, emphasis here of uh, what Paul says in Galatians chapter 5, verse 20, is in the category of religious sin. I'm going to deal with it primarily by way of the English word witchcraft, but don't be confused by that. Sorcery is another, you know, is, is, an, is, a, is a word that's very appropriate here. But I want to move even beyond those two words. And so what I hope to do today is the following. I want to set before you this work of the flesh as to what it is, this thing of witchcraft, this thing of sorcery, this thing of pharmacia, what it is. I also want to take a look at how this sin has manifested itself, not only in the past, but also in the present. I want to then set before you the reason why the scripture says these things are sinful. And the scripture very clearly prohibits anything that has anything to do with any type of occult practice, any kind of attempt to, uh, to, to understand uh, what, uh, uh, what might be uh, 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 the future for your life, uh, uh, how you might have influence or power over people. Any, any approach to the occult in that is, a, is, is expressly forbidden by God in the scripture. Also, again, when, I, when we get to this idea of why it's sinful, you have to realize the reason why uh, Rick read from Revelation chapter 21 and this morning, you see there, there was a description again of the holy city of the new Jerusalem. And what did you see there? Who are, who are those among those who do not enter into it? It's those who are sorcerers. Now, again, I don't want you to think in your mind somebody, you know, just, you know, brewing up some kind of witch's brew to give it to people. That word sorcerer there is, again, that word for that's derived from pharmacia. It's those who are using drugs. And what we're going to see is that we have to expand this idea of drug use out, not to just have to do with what we would call personal pleasure, personal indulgence. We have to see that in the scripture, it does involve these religious connotations as well. So again, we're going to take a look at why it's sinful. The most important part of this sermon, hopefully I'll get to it today, the most important part of this sermon is the reality that in, in Christ, these things have been thoroughly defeated. All Everything that has to do with these occult practices, everything that has to do with these hidden powers, these, these, these forces of darkness, if you'll allow me to use that term, everything that's associated with Satan and his works have been defeated by Jesus Christ at the cross. At the cross, Jesus Christ made an open display of them. He triumphed, he triumphed over them at the cross. And you must understand that any tendency, any temptation to, to indulge this type of work of the flesh, whether it's something as, as esoteric as the occult or something as easy to understand as this giving ourselves over to, the, to indulgence and the drug abuse, Jesus Christ broke the power of that temptation at the cross. And you must understand that. And then the last thing I hope to do with you here today is I want to show you how that in Christ, anything that those practices may offer to you, you have much more than that in Christ. And that's what we hope to do. That's what I hope to show. I hope to show it to you. And again, I'll just, I'll just say this little thing, just to forecasting here a little bit. Let's, let's bring this, uh, this, uh, this work of the flesh of pharmacia into a very tangible uh, kind of setting. 
And let's just say that pharmakia is, is, the, is just flat-out drug abuse. It is interesting, believe it or not, that, that one modern translation, that's, it's referred to as, it, it's not a very popular translation. I, I'm almost positive none of you would have it here this morning. It's, it's, called, the, uh, it's called God's Word Translation. Uh, it was put out in 1995, uh, led up by a Lutheran uh, scholar. In 1995, and and it uses the uh, the translation philosophy of uh, of, of of what what's referred to as as, uh, as normal equivalence. And in in, in 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 Galatians chapter five verse twenty, listen how he translates uh, Galatians five verse twenty. And he talks about the works of the flesh, and he says verse twenty, idolatry, same as the King James or or newer translations. But you know what he has for witchcraft, the King James, sorcery, the ESV. You know what he has there. He has very simply, or, or that team of translators put very simply, drug use, drug use. And so what I, what I want you to see is, is, is this, that we have, to, we have to approach this passage of scripture and we have to make sure that we bring in all those elements that bring this work of the flesh into the religious sphere. But we also have to make sure that we don't lose sight that it can be as, as, uh, as, as kind of uh, as, 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 as mundane, if I can say it that way, is just the, the whole temptation to, to, to give ourselves over into uh, indulgence by way of drug abuse. And what I want you to see is this. Everything that you have in Christ supersedes all these things that you might be tempted with. And when it comes to how we kind of gather together all these various ideas, what we will see is that by way of the occult practices and by way of the illicit use of drugs in a religious sense, as well as what we might say in a natural sense, there are basically three things that are, that are happening there. By way, of the, by way of the occult, there is an attempt to gain information or to exert influence or to allow indulgence. I'm saying to you that in Christ, you have more than what you need to overcome each and every one of those. Are you looking for, are you looking for information as how to live? Is there a better light than scripture to give you that? Are you looking to seek to have influence on people? Is there anything more powerful than the gospel of Jesus Christ to save a soul? And I'm not going to say you're looking for indulgence, but I'm going to say this to you. You have something better than indulgence. You have soul satisfaction that is yours in Jesus Christ. Amen. And so all these things that are here in this passage of Scripture by way of, by way of witchcraft, as a, as a work of the flesh, I want you to see that in Christ you have much, much more. And, and that we as, the, as, as, a, as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, when we walk by the Spirit, these things should not be in, in any way uh, tempting to us. Well, let's get down then to the particulars of our outline. And the first thing that I want to begin with is witchcraft. What is it? Well, as soon as we use this word witchcraft, as I said before, the natural tendency in our minds is to go back to what is often called historic witchcraft. And historic witchcraft is often referring to witchcraft as it developed uh, uh, by way of an idea and by way of, uh, by way of a phenomena in human life, uh, really developed uh, in the 11th century 
began to be highly focused upon in the 15th through the 17th centuries, and then in probably the last 200 years or so, pretty much uh, passed out of uh, uh, out of um, uh, you know any kind of prominence. It's always been there. People have always been able to put a picture in their mind when they've talked about a witch. It uh, it it. it crops up in the in uh, in, in common uh, culture by way of uh, books and movies and, and, uh, and other things you can think back those of us who are old enough, old enough and those of you who are young but maybe have seen this I think back I think even to the old to the old old Disney movie of Snow White remember there and you probably have the picture in your head of the, of the witch with the wart on her nose uh, over the brew that she was brewing up and so witches have always kind of uh, stayed within the, the public conscience. Um, which, which is though, as as uh, as, uh, as a as an identifiable group, really it doesn't come to the forefront until about the the eleventh the eleventh century. It's interesting that the early church uh, really uh, just uh, the way it approached it was uh, they, they viewed it as just a as just a superstition that it was really it was no thing it was like an idol it was no real thing. But in the course of time, what began to happen is that there began to be this focus on uh, the idea of witchcraft. And it developed really from the 13th and then all the way up to the 17th century. This is where uh, in Europe and even here in America, there were those, uh, those, uh, the, those times where they were, there were the, the witch hunts, the witch craze, you might say. And it kind of came, it culminated here in Massachusetts and Salem, uh, as I said before, there in the 1690s. Well, when Paul uses uh, with this word uh, pharmakeia here in Galatians chapter 5, that's probably not so much what he has in mind. There's a relation to it, but it's not so much what he has in mind. Obviously, Paul has in mind really what we would say would be more in a biblical keeping of what quote-unquote witchcraft is. And in that regard, witchcraft is more closely associated in the scripture with what we would call in our day mediums or the occult. That idea that a particular person was able by way of some kind of interaction with uh, with with Satan, with the demonic realm, with the unseen world, however you want to say it. And, I, and again, I'm not saying that to, to de-emphasize the reality of Satan and demons, but that interaction, because a lot of this stuff could be, could be um, real and some of it can be phony. But it, it was this idea of seeking information and influence by way of these methods that God had prohibited. And let me see if I can give you some, some, some illustrations on that. And so you remember by way of, uh, by way of uh, the reading this morning when, when Saul was taken into, a, uh, when Samuel took Saul into account for his disobedience. And he made reference to the fact that, that to obey is, is, is better uh, than sacrifice. And he, he draws the connection there between, uh, between idolatry and, and witchcraft. What was Saul doing later in his life when he sought out what we know as the witch of Endor, although the Bible doesn't use that phrase, the witch of Endor, she was a medium. But what was happening there? What was Saul seeking? Saul was seeking information as to how the next day's battle would go. And so again, when, when this word is being used here in Galatians, it has that kind of association. It's this idea of seeking information by way of some individual, some medium. 
Another illustration I want to give to you here would be that from Numbers chapter 22. You remember when Balak enlists the help of Balaam to curse Israel. In other words, he's seeking some type of influence over Israel to bring about their defeat through this man, Balaam. And so it's this, it's this idea of this association with individuals who supposedly have this access into the spiritual world. And that's really what you see happening there by way of what, quote unquote, witchcraft is all about. Now, as I said before, so that's the biblical idea of it. As we follow witchcraft through its development in our own day today, what we find is that witchcraft is really, uh, it's, still, it's still present among us. There are still those who make claims for it. But so many in our day are not seeing themselves as witches in the historical sense, as that kind of movement that sets itself counter to the claims of Christ in the gospel or the teachings of the word of God, they see themselves more in a quote-unquote neo-pagan kind of idea. And again, this brings us into what we know as Wicca today. And even Wicca and the, and, 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 and the whole approach to what modern witches look like, that idea of, of, of Wicca is again a, a, a uh, an, an association with that pre-Christian um, idea of what religion is. It's, as, as I said, m many refer to it as neo-paganism. So that's how witch, that's how what witchcraft oftentimes looks like today. Now, it's not exclusive to that. There are many who would readily identify themselves as a witch. One, uh, one authority says uh, that there are uh, about uh, 1.5 million uh, who claim to be witches here in America uh, today. So again, you have people who, who identify with that. But, but again, to see them in the same way that we see that historic witch would be kind of a miss. We, we, we would be missing the point. Well, the same kind of development goes on with the idea of, of, of a sorcerer or sorcery as well. It's not so much this, this kind of comical magic, as it were, although magic does play a very significant role in what uh, sorcery and what pharmacia is. It's that idea, again, of trying to influence or trying to have power over now by way of the incorporation of drugs as well. So all these things come together. And in a very real way, it's, it's kind of hard to decipher between how do we understand uh, witchcraft in, it, in, in, its, uh, in its modern sense? How do we understand sorcery? What does that look like? What about the reality of the, of the occult? How, how do we deal with all these things? But what I want you to see, as I said before, that these are all manifestations of what Paul is saying here uh, by, way of, uh, by way of this work of the flesh of, of pharmakeia. Now that brings us to the word itself. And in a very real way, we do best to understand this work of the flesh, not so much of the, not so much by way of the mental images that crop up on our mind when we say a witch, or what crop up in our mind when we say a sorcerer, but rather again this word pharmakeia. It's a, it's a, it's just like in our day today. It's, it's medicine, and it was one of the ways in which the ancient world did medicine or practice medicine. Plato makes reference to four types of medicinal uh, uh, procedures. 
He talks about cauterizing or burning to stop bleeding or to stop an infection. He talks about incision or cutting uh, when, when that's necessary. He talks about the use of, of, of medicine or do you, the use of drugs when, when that's necessary. He even talks about what we would call today fasting or starvation. There are, again, all the, these are four categories that were, that were prominent in the, the ancient world. And so that, that use of medicine was, was, was neutral. But then what began to happen in the process of time is that medicine began to, began to be used for evil purposes. We would say that, uh, that the movement toward that evil purpose was, it was certainly at least in the use of, of, of drugs uh, as means of abortion. Many of the abortions in the ancient world were, were brought about through this use of drugs, this use of medicine. And, and many times the medicine would not obviously be the, the highly developed uh, 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 medicines that we have today, but they would be what we would call probably in our day like folk medicine. Uh, the use of this herb, or the use of that herb, or the, the use of this poison, the use, you know, that, or that poison, and so again, that's that's how this word, uh, that's how this word, uh, uh, medicine developed. But then what began to happen in the process of time is that medicines began to be used uh, in a way that uh, that you had. Well, let me let me read what one authority says here. Um, uh, W.E. Vine, uh, who has a very handy little dictionary on Greek words, uh, says this. He says that by way of pharmakeia primarily signified the use of medicines and, and drugs and then spells and then poisoning and then sorcery. It is at this point that the dark and grim fact of pharmakeia emerges. Pharmakeia is literally the abuse of drugs coupled with the occult. And now when I say occult, you have to remember, let's not think so much in the modern sense of the word, but let's think in the sense of biblical times when there was an attempt on the part of individuals to know something about the future or to have some kind of influence on those around by way of seeking this information from forces from demonic forces, from satanic forces, from, again, what we would know as the occult. Now, there's a very interesting passage of Scripture in, uh, in Isaiah chapter 8, verses 19 and 20. I'm going to ask you to turn there, Isaiah chapter 8, verses 19 through 20, and I think you might be able to see some of the things that I'm trying to establish here uh, before you. So go to this passage, Isaiah chapter 8. It's a, it's a, it's a fairly well-known passage of Scripture. Uh, it's, uh, you, you may have actually heard uh, preaching on this passage of, of Scripture. Uh, it speaks about uh, the people of God uh, looking to the light that God gives in His Word, and that becomes significant. So Isaiah chapter 8, verses 19 and 20, we read the following. I'll give you a moment to get there. Isaiah chapter 8, verses 19 through 20. And we're going to see one of the reasons why this type of, of, of this work of the flesh is so offensive to God, why it's so sinful. Verse 19, then when they, and when they shall say unto you, seek unto them that have familiar spirits, and unto wizards that peep and mutter. Now listen, and this is the point. Should a people seek, should, should not a people seek unto their God for the living to the dead? Verse 20, to the law and to the testimony. If they speak not according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. You may have heard passages of scripture, or I'm sorry, you may have heard sermons on that 20th verse. Again, to the, to, to the word. 
to the light and to the testimony of the word of God. But the point that I want you to see in verse 19, what's happening there by way of that occult practice, by way of seeking out the sorcerer, by way of seeking out, again, what we would say, although it's not there, by way of speaking out those who have familiar spirits, the witch, if we can say it that way. What is it? It's the attempt to have some type of information given. And God takes great offense at that. And God says, should not you seek me to have this information concerning the living? Why would you seek the dead? Why would you go to that, to that arena in order to have this information, which only I can give by way of revelation in the word of God? And so you see, again, some of the reasons why this begins to take on this, uh, this kind of uh, uh, this prohibited, uh, this prohibited uh, 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 view that we see in the scripture uh, by way of the sinfulness of, uh, of the thing called uh, witchcraft or sorcery. Now, again, there's so much more to say about this, so much more to say, because as I said before, we have to deal with witchcraft and it's, and it's biblical it's historic in its current setting. We have to do the same with sorcery. We have to even remember that, that magic is a part of this whole thing. And there is a sense in which when we talk about magic, we're not talking about sleight of hand. We're talking again about the use of, 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 of drugs to induce and to persuade and to, have a, and to have power over. All these things, again, are all included in this word. Uh, in this word for, for witchcraft and in this word for pharmacaea. So again, I get back to the issue of having to of having hopefully uh, described this in, in hopefully something of a, of, a, of a helpful way. I hope I'm not confusing more than helping. As I said before, there's so many things that have to be on the table at this time. But why are these things sinful? And why is it that there is such a prohibition of this in the scripture? And the first thing that I would say to you is this. And I want you to be satisfied with this. The first thing that I would say to you is this. It's sinful for no other reason than God says that it's sinful. And there's a sense in which I, I want us to learn to, 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 to accept that, to let that kind of find a place in our soul that when the word of God says something is sinful, that's sufficient in and of itself. Normally what we do is this. We try to find a reason why in our minds it's sinful. Well, what's so bad about that? What I want us as Christians to do is to understand that when the word of God prohibits something, then it's prohibited for the people of God. When the word of God declares something to be sin, then it's sinful. And we have to, in one sense, we have to rest there. Here are the passages of scripture that, again, that, that I'm sure that, we, that, that we're familiar with, that we know. Uh, Exodus chapter 22, verse 18. We've all heard this passage of scripture. Thou shalt not suffer a witch to live. Now, again, that word for witch there in the King James, and it is interesting historically because, again, the King James is written in the 17th century. Well, in, in the time that the King James was written, the concept of witches and witchcraft were really beginning to be developed at their height. And so, but the idea of witchcraft there in the Old Testament has to do with more of what we would call today, like the occult, the idea of a medium seeking this information or trying to have, a, or trying to have, a, 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 you know, a, a, not authority, but trying to trying to have influence over circumstances and over and over individuals. So, Exodus chapter twenty-two, verse eighteen. Listen to Leviticus chapter nineteen. Regard not them that have familiar spirits. And this is probably more, this is even the old King James language, but this is probably more in keeping with that concept of, of, of witchcraft is. Those who have familiar spirits, 
Those who are seeking this information, again, like the quote-unquote witch at Endor, seeking to call up Samuel from the dead. Regard not them that have familiar spirits, neither seek after wizards to be defiled by them. I am the Lord your God. And do you see that, that point of emphasis there? To be defiled by them. These are defiling sins. And so again, when we ask ourselves the question, why is it sinful? We have to say, if for no other reason, because the word of God forbids it. And we can bring out many more uh, illustrations and examples in, in, in the scripture as to why God has said this thing is sinful and why we should avoid it. The other thing I want you to understand as to why it's sinful, now if you'll allow me, what I want to do now is to engage you not only at the level of the Word of God says it's sinful, so it is sinful, I want to engage you as to some of the other reasons why the Word of God does say that this is a sin and why we should avoid it. Number one, I want you to know that God, as I said before, takes offense at, in, at His people seeking out anything other than Him by way of information and by way of influence. Again, the passage there in Isaiah 19. Again, should not a people seek unto their God? There's a sense in which God is saying, why are you seeking these mediums? Why are you seeking this, this occult uh, form of, of trying to know the future? Why are you trying to have influence over people by way of these means that, are, again, have nothing to do with my ways and have everything to do with the ways that I've, that I've condemned? And God is saying again to his people, should not, uh, should not, um, uh, here in, in, in verse uh, twenty, uh, in verse nineteen, should not a people seek unto their God for the living and and, and, uh, uh, and for the uh, for the living uh, rather than um, the dead? And so again, this is why we see that God is saying that this is sinful. He's offended by it. He, there's there's an affront that we give to God when we seek these things out. Now, as I said before, I think when we look at this thing of of, of witchcraft, sorcery, pharmacia. I would suggest to you that when we look at the scriptures as a whole, that three things are going to rise to the surface by way of what this whole matter uh, is attempting to do. The first thing that I, I would suggest to you, and I've mentioned this to you already, is that there is a, there is seek, there, there, there is a, an attempt to find influence over individuals by way of these occult practices, by way of the use of medium. We see this again in, um, in uh, Isaiah 19, verse 3 in the ESV. Isaiah 19 reads this. Um, again, the spirit of the Egyptians within them will be emptied out, and I will confound their counsel. Listen to this. They will inquire of the idols and the sorcerers and the mediums and the necromancers. What's the point that I'm trying to make? The point that I'm trying to make is that people revert to these mediums in order to find out some information. And again, God is against that. When we come to, see, when we come to Saul and his engagement there with the witch, at what we call the witch at Endor, I want you to listen. Take your Bibles again and turn to 1 Samuel now, verse, uh, chapter 28. 1 Samuel chapter 28, verses 4 through 7. And here we're going to see... Uh, we're going to see the, uh, this, uh, Saul's interaction uh, with this witch. 1 Samuel chapter 28, uh, verses 4 through 7. And notice what we have here. And the Philistines, 1 Samuel 28, verses 4 through 7. And the Philistines gathered themselves together and came and pitched in Shunem. And Saul gathered all of Israel together and they pitched in Gilboa. And Saul... Saul, the host of the Philistines, he was afraid. 
and his heart greatly trembled. Now listen to this in verse 6. And when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord answered him not, neither by dreams, nor by Urim, nor by prophets. Now notice here in verse 7. Then Saul said unto his servants, Seek me a woman that hath a familiar spirit, that I may go to her and inquire of her. And so again, what do I want you to see here? Saul was seeking some type of information. And when you look at this work of the flesh, this sin of sorcery, this sin of pharmacia, this sin of witchcraft, one of the things that, that is attempted to be uh, gained here is information. That's the first thing I want you to see. The second thing I want you to see is that there is also an attempt to gain influence over other, uh, other individuals. I've already mentioned the, the account of, uh, of Balak and Balaam and how that Balak was asking Balaam to curse the people of Israel. He was seeking to have some type of influence over them by way of the, 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 uh, the working of Balaam. And so there's this idea of influence. But we see this in other places as well. In Acts chapter 8, verses 9 through 11, we read of Simon the sorcerer. Now notice what we have there. Matter of fact, if you, will, if you don't mind, take your Bibles there and go to Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8, verses 9 through 11. And what I want you to see here now, it's not just information that's being sought. Now there is influence through sorcery that we see on the pages of Scripture. Acts chapter 8, verses 9 through 11. And there we read the following. But there was a certain man called Simon, which before time in the same city used sorcery and bewitched the people of Samaria. Now notice this, giving out that himself was some great one, to whom they all gave heed from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the, excuse me, is the great power of God. And they had regard for him because of that of a long time he had bewitched them with sorceries. This man, by way of his sorceries, was able to have some kind of influence over the people that day. Notice again, take your Bibles there, stay in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 13, verses 8 through 10. Acts 13, verses 8 through 10. We have another man who is known as a sorcerer. Acts chapter 18, verses, uh, I'm sorry, Acts chapter 13, verses 8 through 10. But Elimus, the sorcerer, for such is his name by interpretation, withstood them. And then Saul, who was called Paul, filled with the Holy Ghost, set his eyes upon him and said, O fool of all subtlety and mischief, thou child of the devil, thou enemy of all righteousness, will thou not cease to pervert the right ways of the Lord? What was this man Elimus seeking to do? He, is, he was seeking to have influence or, or, or have an impact on the person that Paul was trying to, to witness to. And so this idea, not only of information, but also this idea of, uh, of influence is what we see in the passage. One more thing that we see here, and, and, then, and again, if you were to go through all the passages in Scripture, you might find other things that kind of bubble to the surface as to like what's going on, but certainly information would be one of them, seeking uh, for the living among the dead. The idea of influence would be there. Again, we see this in, uh, in, in both Balaam and, and there in the New Testament. But the third thing that I would suggest to you is this. And this brings us, if I can say it this way, in kind of an up-to-date moment. And it's that use of pharmakeia for what the New Testament refers to as sorceries, which when we study it, we know to be the effects of drug use upon individuals. And there is a very real sense in which what, however we understand this particular work of the flesh, 
by way of its occultic uh, connections, we have to see this idea of drug use not only in the way that we see it abused today, but also in its connection with a religious idea. And we see this in the book of Revelation. Notice what we have in the book of Revelation. It's interesting. The word sorceries or the word pharmacia occurs four times, or either pharmacia or, or pharmacon, four times in the book of Revelation. So this idea of, 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 of pharmacon, of, of what we call sorcery, is not something that's going away. As a work of the flesh, it will always be something that humanity must be dealing with, something that the child of God must be keeping himself or herself away from. And in Revelation chapter 18, what I want you to see here is this. By way of this work of the flesh, not only is there this connection with the occult to seek information or to exert influence, also by way of this work of the flesh, there is this, this connection with the indulgence of the flesh. Notice Revelation chapter 18. And after these things, I saw another angel come down from heaven, having great power, and the earth was lightened with his glory. And he cried mightily with a strong voice, saying, Babylon, the great, is fallen, is fallen, has become the habitation of devils, and the hold of every foul spirit, and a cage of every clean and hateful, unclean and hateful bird. For all the nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication, and the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth are waxed rich through the abundance of her delicacies. What's happening here? What is this Babylon the great that we see? If I can say this, if I can sum it up this way, it's this. Babylon is that world system that is antagonistic to God. It is that world system that sets itself over and above, over and against, trying to be above God himself. And, the, and, and in a very real way, the great, if I can use this phrase, the great drama of human history is, again, the establishment of God's purposes on the earth and the futility of man trying to resist that. And what we see here now is this Babylon the Great is a system of evil working power that seeks to undermine and to overthrow the ways of God. But I, did you notice there, there in verse 3, at the end of verse 3, through the abundance of her delicacies. Notice what's going on here in verse 4. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, that you be not partakers of her sins, that you receive not of her plagues. Don't be a partaker of Babylon's, of this world's delicacies. Notice going on. Verse 5, for her sins have reached up to heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Reward her even as she rewarded you, and double unto her double according to her works in the cup which she hath filled to her double. How much she has glorified herself. She has lived deliciously. Do you see the abundance here? Do you see the indulgence? Do you see the luxury? That's what's being emphasized here. And again, verse 7. Uh, going on, she has glorified herself. She lives del deliciously. So much torment and sorrow give her, for she saith in her heart, I sit as a queen and am no widow and shall see no sorrow. Now go down to, uh, to, to verse 8. And therefore shall her plagues come upon her in one day, death and mourning and famine, and she shall be utterly burned with fire, for strong is the Lord the judge. So why am I bringing all this up? Because what I want you to see here is in, in this present world system, and the world system throughout the history of mankind has been one where indulgence has been the, one of the primary features. The idea that we can sinfully indulge our flesh in a way that is not that God doesn't see or in a way that God does not condemn is foolishness. 
But this is especially what I want you to see. Go down the verse, uh, go down to Revelation 18. Now in verses 20, and uh, in, in verse, um, in verses 23 and 24. And the light of the candles shall shine no more at all in thee. Again, this is God's judgment on Babylon. And the voice of the bridegroom and of the bride shall be heard no more in thee. For thy merchants were the great men of the earth. Now listen to this. And this is the point I want you to see. For by thy sorceries, there's that word pharmacale. For by thy sorceries, all the nations were deceived. And in her was found the blood of the prophets and of the saints and all that were slain upon the earth. What am I trying to say? This particular work of the flesh manifests itself in this idea of indulgence. This excessive luxury of living. This, this, this idea where the only thing that's, that's important is just that which gratifies my flesh. And that's one of the reasons why it's a, listed here as a work of the flesh. But because of the use of this word and its connection with its Old Testament settings, you understand, we can't make it just about drug abuse and luxury. There is a real connection there with the occult and with spiritual uh, 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 demonic forces that if we didn't pay attention to, we would not be we would not be capturing what's here in this passage of scripture. So do you understand why this, if I can say it this way, why this sermon is taking so long to develop? It's because that, I, that concept reaches out into so many different areas. And one of the challenges, I have to admit, with, with so many things as we're preaching through the scripture, it's so easy to, to either miss some of the points of, that need to be emphasized, and then it's easy to be clumsy in the handling of this. If I just talked about witchcraft this and witchcraft that, your mind would be, again, pointed hat wide brimmed and, and somebody standing over a pot boiling something. And we would be missing it. And if I just talked about drug abuse in our present culture, and drug abuse is an absolute blight, isn't it? When you stop and think of, of how, when you stop and think how many deaths are attributed to drugs in our day, when you stop and think of what's happening to our, our society and culture by way. Literally, literally, we have, we have a generation that's being wiped out. How many times have we seen, again, men, women, in, in the prime of their life, absolutely dependent upon the government or other people? Why? Because drugs have completely ruined their lives. They've indulged themselves in this, and it's a work of the flesh. But again, that work of the flesh isn't just that way. There's a religious component to this as, as well. And so we need to be aware of these things. So I hope and I pray that by, 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 by this attempt that we've been able to at least plant our feet, if I can say it that way, in, in a way that's, that's broad enough and yet clear enough to say, okay, this is what we're dealing with here. Yeah, there are those elements of, of, like, of, of witchcraft and sorcery, but that's kind of like out of date. There are those elements of, of drug abuse, but that's like so much up to date that we might. But I want you to see that all these things are involved in this particular work of the flesh. That brings me to the most important point of the sermon then. What is the Christian to do? How is the Christian to fight these things? Well, I'll go back again to what Paul says. Walk in the spirit and you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Walk by the Spirit, and these things will have no appeal to you. Now, again, I've said this about temptation, and please hear me out. Temptation has no compelling power over the believer, but it still has its tempting power. 
It still can entice, but it cannot coerce. And so be aware of that. But if we walk by the Spirit, again, these things, again, Paul says, if you walk by the Spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. But where I really want to go with that, with this idea now is this. I want you to understand that all these works of the flesh are overcome and have been defeated by the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Galatians, I'm sorry, Colossians 2, verse 15. You should know, you should know the passage. Again, Colossians chapter 2, verse 15. Where Paul, uh, where, where Paul says the following, having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing, triumphing over them in it. And what I want you to see is this, whatever connection there is to spiritual realities and, and occultic forces or powers, you must understand that when Christ completed his work on the cross, those satanic powers were defeated. Another passage of scripture, 1 John chapter 3, verse 8. And I've mentioned these passages to you in the past. He, uh, we're, 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 1 John chapter 3, verse 8. And again, it says this, For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Amen. The Son of God on the cross. Again, breaking that power of sin. Breaking that power of these, of these, uh, of these realities of, of spiritual wickedness. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 8 is another passage of scripture that, that, that expresses the victory of Christ. Wherefore he saith, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Don't you know that when you were saved from your sin, Jesus Christ rescued you. Jesus Christ redeemed you. Jesus Christ took back what Satan thought was his. It was a work of victory, you see. Jesus says in John chapter 12, Now is judgment come on the world, and now shall the prince of this world be, be cast out. This happened at the cross. Yes. And the cross of Jesus Christ is the, is the decisive action, is the, is the decisive moment in all of our spiritual victories. Amen. And so I want you to understand these things. The other thing I want you to see is that not only is, uh, is, uh, are, are these things overcome uh, by the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, I also want you to see that, 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 uh, that the works of the flesh and, and what may be offered to us by way of this sin of pharmakeia, of sorcery, or witchcraft, it's not needed for the Christian. And the reason why I say that, if indeed I've, I've rightly uh, uh, gathered together those three elements of what witchcraft and sorcery is, uh, information, influence, and indulgence, I want you to see that the scripture gives us the answer to every one of those things in Christ. Amen. Again, in general, in general, by way, of the, the, by way of the completeness that we have in Christ, Paul says again in Ephesians 1, 6, again, he's made us accepted in the beloved. What more do you need? You are accepted before God in Christ. There is a sufficiency in that that should keep us from being from being taken away into all these sins that would that would that would entrap us. Doesn't Paul say to us again there in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, that all the promises of God are yea and amen in Christ? What do we need by way of information then? Other than what we see in the Word of God or legitimate things that, that we find derived from the Word of God. What do we need by way of having influence on others than by doing it through the through the light of Scripture? Matthew chapter, you and I are like those, like that individual who found the pearl of great price. Who then, when he found the pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Does that describe you? When you are confronted with all these challenges, all these temptations, do you realize that having found Christ, you have everything that you need? And so again, just in a generic, in a general way, 
having Christ reminds us that we need not be tempted by, by these things. But specifically, let's look at the specifics then. As to information, what more do we need than the light of God? Proverbs chapter 4, verses 18 and 19 says this, But the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until the full day. The way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. Why would we train? Why would we exchange the light of the word of God for the darkness of the occult? Or for the darkness of this superstition? Second Peter chapter 1, verse 19. We've quoted this many times. We have a more sure word of prophecy whereby we do well to take heed as a light that shines into the dark into a dark place. We have the word of God. When, when we have these approaches made to us and, and maybe these temptations, these subtle suggestions that we can get more light into or more insight into our lives by way of, by way of the occult, we say, what do we need that for? We have the light of the word of God. Amen. When it comes to influence, as I said before, what, other, what greater influence can we have on others than, than by winning them to Christ? Remember that great little pithy saying there in Proverbs chapter 11, verse, uh, verse 30, he that winneth souls is wise. You see, you can have influence on others. And you can have influence on others to good, to their eternal and their everlasting good. And I would say this. Most of you, if not, if not all of you, know what it is to have that kind of influence on people. You know what it is to have said something to somebody that set their life on a right course. Amen. And you know how satisfying that is to the soul. To see God glorified in that. And so again, when it comes to influence, what greater influence can we have than the, than, than the power of the gospel? Well, what about what our Lord Jesus Christ says by way of influence? Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? Again, ye are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hid. So let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Influence, you see. Can I say it this way? Power. Power. To bring glory to God. What more would you want? Are you so small-minded that all by way of all your manipulative practices, all you want is people to do what you want to do? Come on. There are greater things in front of you. You can have influence for the glory of God in this world. And then this last thing, yes, information, yes, influence, but this lasting indulgence. Well, how do we how do we address that by way of by way of what Christ gives to us? Does Christ give us license to go into an indulgence, to indulge our, 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 our sinful desires? There are some who pervert the message of the gospel and say that. This is what the book of Jude talks about. This is what 2 Peter talks about. But it's not indulgence that Christ gives to us. It's satisfaction of the soul. Amen. It's, more than, it's better than indulgence. What good does indulgence do? Indulge, indulge on, a, on, a, on a Friday night and see what you feel like on a Saturday morning. What Christ offers is better. He offers a satisfaction of the soul. This is why Paul says in Colossians chapter 2, verse 10, you are complete in him. Amen. This is why Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verse 32, he that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not also with him freely give us all things? It is God as your Father who is making you these promises. Amen. And then we can say like the psalmist, as for me, I will behold thy face in righteousness. I will be satisfied when I awaken thy likeness. Not only is there soul satisfaction in this life, there is satisfaction for the soul in eternity because you, my brothers and sisters, shall be among those blessed ones who see God and who have eternal fellowship with your glorious Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so when we come to a passage of Scripture like this, very, very difficult. 
maybe much easier just to, to run past the you know idolatry witchcraft and move on. But there's stuff here that has to be exposed, if I can say it that way. There are challenges and temptations that each of us face that are bound up in this work of the flesh that's called, by way of that archaic King James word, witchcraft. But we know enough about witchcraft only to know that it's still it's still there. Amen. As I was reading, and again, you can there's so many resources on these things. I, I think I was saying last week I was surprised that I was happy to find out that there were so many, you know, resources on idolatry. And then I think I was saying to somebody, then I realized that the the, the richest resource on idolatry was my own heart. And I said, Well, I gotta I gotta deal with that, you know, we gotta put that to death. But even when it comes to this idea of, of, of witchcraft and it's and it's and it's biblical, it's historic, and it's modern manifestations, there's tons of work out there. Encyclopedia Britannica has a, just a, 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 a huge section. Uh, it, 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 it brings witchcraft under the, the broader heading of the occult. Uh, many of the, of the of our Bible encyclopedias, there there are resources out there. And again, I would I, I'm more, I would warn you against these things. I would warn you to stay away from these things. I would encourage you to find your satisfaction and the satisfaction of your soul in Christ. These things will entangle you. They will. These things, if wrongly entered into, they will give you again this idea that oh, I, I can't believe I had this kind of I, I had this information. It happened just like that. I can't believe, you know, and again, it's, it's, I can't believe I said these certain words in a certain way and I did this and I did, and, and, and I couldn't believe I had, I, I had influence over somebody. Or again, this idea, oh, isn't it great that there's this system of thought that just allows me complete indulgence for whatever I want to do. These things will destroy the soul. And so when it comes to apply these things, how do we apply a passage of scripture like this? We look to the cross of Jesus Christ. All of those things that may be compelling and tempting are all broken in the cross of Christ. Amen. And then we Thank seek to God. find our full satisfaction in the person of Christ himself. I'm saying to you, my friends, my brothers and sisters, God is not in any way keeping you from knowing and experience a full satisfaction in your soul in this life and more importantly, even in that life to come. Stay faithful, my friends my brothers and sisters. Look to Jesus Christ to keep you from these things and look yes. to Jesus Christ to make you effective in the work Amen. that he's called you to do. Let's pray. Our Father Amen. and our God, give grace, we pray. Father, uh, this um, uh, this passage of scripture, uh, something of a challenge to try to open it up sufficiently and whatever uh, whatever shortcomings there may have been there, Father, may it, be, may it all be eclipsed by the greatness of the, of, of the work of Christ on the cross. May it be eclipsed by his work on the cross and by his ongoing work within us. And so, Father, therefore, we ask and we pray, give us grace to walk by the Spirit that we might not fulfill any one of these lustful works of the, on the flesh. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.